being between Christmas and uh, first of the year. But we started talking about disciplines to beat temptation. We all face temptation. Uh, some face different temptations, uh, different levels of temptation. But we all face temptation because we're dealing with this flesh. And it's got its own appetites and its own agendas and the, the, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, any one of those areas. And there's many, many temptations within all of those categories. Um, just as a quick review, how many of you remember, let's, let's see if we can name off, let's see if we can just get through the five that we went through two weeks ago. How many of you were, uh, just want to... Just maybe shout out one of the ones that you remember. Discipline your what? Conversations. Discipline your conversations. Who can remember another one? Your Bible reading. Prayer. Two more. Vicki. Friendships. And one more. Be careful, little eyes and ears. <laughs> what you see and what you hear. <laughs> so this week, we're going to try to get through the, the next five. And so... Um, again, we, we understand that there are certain battles that are spiritual. We, we, set, we have dominion to cast out spirits. Some spirits we cast out. We understand that some of the things we face may be a spiritual matter, and we have to take spiritual dominion over that. Now, when it comes to temptation, many of those things, not all of those, but many of those are things that are works of the flesh. And so that's why these disciplines, everybody say discipline. That's why these disciplines are important uh, because uh, in these disciplines, we have to crucify our flesh. You can't crucify a spirit, but you also can't cast out your flesh. And so you got to know where to fight that battle. You can't, you can't fight mechanical problems with medicine. You also can't fight a cold with a mechanic. It's, it's a medical problem. You've got to fight it with medical means. It's a mechanical problem. You've got to fight it with mechanical means. We have to understand that certain things we battle, and that's why the discernment and understanding, where is this battle? The battles that I'm talking about tonight are some of these battles that if we are more disciplined, we will have much greater success and victory over these temptations if we do the disciplines. And so, um, again, I've, I've, I've seen people battle with things as we just quickly look at those. I've seen people battle with things, but if they keep having conversations that undo what they're praying, then they're going to have a problem. Um, my wife said that she's, uh, she's listening to a, a guy right now. In fact, it's a great book uh, called Atomic Habits. And in this, he talks about, even be careful how you say things. If you say... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a healthy person, then that you're telling yourself I haven't made it there yet. 
But if you tell yourself, I'm a healthy person, then you, you have a tendency to, more, to make more healthy choices because I am that person that's trying to be healthy and, and trying to be that. One day I'll, be a I'll have the disciplines that I want to have. If you start telling yourself, I am a disciplined person, then, and then again, it's a conversation of faith. What you're doing is you're understanding a biblical principle. So, so your conversations are important, and, and a lot of these things help us with our discipline. I'm not trying to get over this. I am an overcomer. That's why I don't adhere to the whole uh, uh, AA deal of, hi, I'm Bill, and I'm an alcoholic. I don't, I don't think that that's right. I think if you're an overcomer, you should be an overcomer, and you should, you should address yourself as such so that you're not um, uh, speaking things into the atmosphere. So tonight, uh, we start at verse, or not at verse, we start at discipline number six. And so these, uh, tonight, the, the, the sixth one is that we should discipline our church attendance. In the scripture, it says in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We should, we should be gathering together more as we see trouble coming. Some people want to get together less. Some people think that they can do things on their own, but there's something that happens when we come together. I'm, I'm hoping tonight that somebody will leave here just 1% better than you came tonight. That, that you'll just be a little, that if you gain one, if you just hear one thing that I've said tonight that helps you, it would have been worth coming. If one of these five principles that we're co coming, covering tonight um, helps you to assess something and helps you to make smarter choices, healthier choices spiritually, then it was worth coming tonight. Every time you come to church, there should be something to gain for it. Not just I'm coming to church, but understanding with spiritual discipline and, and disciplining your church attendance, that, that coming with that, that you know that there's growth, there's development, there's something that hopefully your kids will be a little bit better tonight than when they came. These teenagers that are meeting here tonight will leave out of that room a little bit better, that you will leave a little bit better. It may be a conversation you have with somebody here tonight. It may be something that happens before service or after service. It may, it, it may be the, the, the song ministered to you. It could be any number of things, but we cannot forsake that, the assembling of ourselves together. Not Sundays, not Wednesdays, not your family groups. Not midweek Bible study. As we talked about the disciplining of your, your Bible reading, well, that's why we, we have a little bit different format. When I grew up in a church, for the most part, until Brother Cisco came, Sunday felt a lot like Wednesday. Brother Davis just used to preach. He would preach the Word, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But there wasn't really time that we got into the Word and did things like this and talked about principles and, and discussed things and, and brought Scripture to it and then had discussion afterwards and had an opportunity to ask questions. It was just, it, it just was Sunday was like Wednesday. 
But it is important. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so midweek Bible study is important. And likewise, your family groups, your, your, your house to house is crucial as well. None is more important than the other. Midweek isn't, when we come here to church, it's not more important because it's the pastor talking. And, and, and likewise, your, family, your house to house is not more important because now we get a chance to discuss things on a more intimate level. Both are crucial. That's why we do both. And so church attendance is important. Going to your family is important. It didn't say not forsaking the church. It said not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. My wife and I went to a, uh, I guess you could call it an assessment. We went to a meeting several months ago with a guy that travels all over the world. Um, Some of you will know the name Terry Shock, Terry and Melanie Shock. Um, that were, went as a, a, a number of us leaders went to a uh, an event in Terre Haute. My wife and I met with them privately to in, to invest into our ministry and to make sure that we were doing things right. When the time we got done, he asked me to email him some of the things that we were doing. He was so impressed. He said, "In fact, out of all the pastors and wives that we've met." you are two of the healthiest ones that we've ever met with. And he asked me to send him what we're doing on some of our stuff with house to house and how we have it. He said, you are set up better than almost any church that I've seen. But let me tell you why he said that. It's because of our house to house. What I feel like, sometimes you feel alone when you have an idea and because you don't see a lot of people doing it. You feel like, I'm either brilliant or a knucklehead. Not much in between. He said this. He said, there's coming a day where we may not have our structures for whatever reason. We get taxed into oblivion and we can't afford to keep our buildings. We, 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 we get them taken away from who knows what, for who knows what reason. The revival is so big, our, our buildings can't handle it. He said, you are set up with your house to house in a way that I don't see many churches set up. Because you can get information to the people. You can get ministry to the people in a way that I don't see other churches doing it. His wife told us this. She said, I was going to say this earlier, but she said, I have to say it now. She said, I was going to say this, um, but I didn't feel at liberty to say it, but I'm going to say it now. She said, you guys are just a few small decisions away from massive growth at both of your churches. We can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Well, it's cold outside. There's flurries for in the forecast. Well, watch a Packers game, and hopefully conviction will fall on you. Watch him at Lambeau Field, painted green with no shirt on. Not that I promote that. 
But sub-zero temperatures, to sit there for two hours during a game when some won't come to sit in a heated building with padded seats for an hour. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's worth it. It's worth it. Trust me, it's worth it. And so we have to discipline. It's not, that, it's not just something that we say, I don't know, hon, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know, I'm bored. Well, let's go to church. It's, it's a discipline. It's, it's something that if you feel value in it, here's what I have found, that anything of value requires discipline. A good marriage requires discipline. A healthy lifestyle requires discipline. Keeping your job anymore requires that you show up. But I guess there's discipline in showing up since they're paying bonuses to people just to work their full 40 hours these days. And so we have to discipline our church attendance and see value in it. Matthew 18, 18 through 20 says this, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two, uh, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that ye shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There is something magic, and I know some don't like that word, but there is something supernatural that happens when there's unity. How can you have unity if we're all by ourselves? Well, I'm in agreement, I'm in agreement with the church globally. How do you know? How do you know? How do you know who you're in unity with if you don't know who they are? don't know what they believe, don't know what they teach, don't know what you're praying about, you don't know what they're praying about. There's something about coming together that is crucial and important. That's why church attendance, and as we discipline our church attendance, that is important. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts uh, to the Lord. That's why we sing. That's why we, uh, we, 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 we speak to each other. That's why we have meet and greet. We, we have that time for people to get reengaged. Hopefully there's good conversations. I, I'm not a bit opposed when I see the foyer jammed with people talking before and after service. Now I'll tell you something funny. Years ago um, there was this trend on, on building buildings with bigger foyers. And so we talked to my, <laughs> we talked to my pastor, Brother Davis. About a, you know, about our foyer because it was a really small foyer, and so we'd walk in. It was just enough room to go hang up your coat and go into the sanctuary. And we talked to him about when we build. You know, I think we should have a bigger foyer. A few people made that comment. He said, "Nope, nope. That's just a place for people to congregate." Uh, yeah. He said, "But that's where gossiping starts." Get a bunch of people out there talking in the foyer, and they get to gossiping. He was a great man, so please don't. Uh, but, but there were some funny things looking back that, that some of the traditional, older traditional pastors, house-to-house meetings, you're out of your mind if you think you're ever going to get that one by. 
uh, because we come to the house of God and you hear from the man of God, but you, 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 you leave people up to minister, and that's a, that's a recipe for clicks and, and, and people getting together and doing their own thing. And Well, you just teach that out of people. You just let people know that they're insane to do something like that, that you, know, that, you, know, you need to be undercover or you, you're in trouble with God. You're not in trouble with me. And so getting together, we minister to one another. When I come here on Sunday and and we're having worship, there is something that happens that I can't generate in my car. Now, there's other things that I can do in my car that I can't do here. There's other times of intimacy I can pray that that I can do there. But that's why this serving God is a constant moving, breathing uh, thing. But we do need each other. To hear the voices sing and the musicians that are playing and the musicians singing, what is that doing? That's, that's showing a greater level of unity when everybody's on the same page and hitting the same notes and harmony and, and melody and all the stuff that's going on. That, that, is, that is bringing something together to bring glory to God. And so our singing of hymns, and that stuff, that stuff ministers to me and it ministers to you. And that's what that gathering together uh, helps us helps us to accomplish. Ephesians four eleven through twelve. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If we don't come to church, why do we need those? I get all the Jesus I need at home. No, you can't. You don't have any spiritual authority there. You're not part of a body there. Yeah, I am. I'm part of the global body. Okay, what part? What part are you? Because if you're in a congregation, you know what your part is. You know where you're plugged into the local congregation. You you know what your giftings and callings, and, and, and you're doing something to help move the kingdom forward. So you have a place to invite somebody to. How do you win souls? Well, I invite them to my house, and I have about four or five of them meet at our, at our house, and, 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 and we teach there. So you're having church then. It's just a smaller scale. I've often asked people that say that, you know, the, the, the church is global, and we don't need an individual sanctuary to come to church and ask them, well, how do you win souls? And they'll either say, I'm not, which is typically the case, or they'll say, well, they come to my house. Well, what if you have two or three people at work that you're winning? Well, then they all come to our house. Well, then you're having church. So you do do think that church is important then. Just your way. And so um, these offices that we have, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... For what? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. These, this fivefold ministry is not supposed to be doing all the work. They do their share of work. But part of their work is the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so there should be a lot of us involved in the work of the ministry. If we're going to be effectively ministering the way God intended the church to function, and we're moving towards that, we're not there yet. But we're moving towards that. This church is not fully functioning as God designed it yet. But that's part of what we're working on this year. And what a lot of the work was that we worked on last year. is So that the 
the, the body is, is perfecting and growing and maturing to do the work of the ministry. Work of the ministry was never designed to be by one or two staff members in the church. As this church grows, how, how does one or two people do all the hospital visits? You see, that's why the house-to-house is so important, because when somebody is in the hospital, that, that family helps take care of that need. Before we had that, it was always the front office. Somebody calls the front office, and my wife gets on the phone with three or four of the best cooks in the church and get meals over, and those three or four best cooks of the church get wore out. Because if somebody's always in the hospital or something going on or a surgery, those people are being worn out. But we're, we're multiplying the effectiveness of the church by making sure everybody's connected to the body and everybody's a body part. And so it was for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why it's important that we're connected somewhere. Romans 12, 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy that let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth exhortation. He that giveth, let him do, do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that soweth with mercy. Uh, he that soweth mercy with cheerfulness. So whatever our giftings are is, our, is what we should be in the body part. And so that's why it's important that we have a diversity of body, a diversity of different People, any team needs diversity. Any football team needs somebody that's fast, somebody that's big, somebody that's tall, somebody that's not so tall that, 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 can, that can run, that somebody that's got great, uh, great hands to catch, somebody has got a great arm to throw. You can never have a team of Tom Brady's. You'd have the worst team in the NFL. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't, even, you wouldn't even be able to compete if everybody on your team was Tom Brady. Well, what are you saying? He's, he's the GOAT, man. He's the greatest of all time. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not sure how he would do as a lineman. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure I would know how he would do as a lineman. And so it takes different people, different gifts, different skills, different, different sets. So the, the body is why we have a church. There's got to be a church. So us to be faithful, we miss you when you're not here. This, this body on, on any given Sunday or midweek is not at full functioning if you're not here. I've had the most obscure conversations happen sometimes that somebody's told me later that that changed my life. A word, a moment. Talk in a conversation that you didn't come to church planning on that conversation happen. You didn't come to church that night planning on sharing your heart or having somebody share their heart with you and then you go home later that night and just say, that was big. It may be something that you came tonight, you've been struggling with something for years, and I'll say one thing tonight that helps you to realize this isn't a God doesn't love me problem. This isn't a devil's trying to get me problem. This is a fact that I have to address this with discipline. And you found that out at church. And so church is important. Don't ever think it doesn't matter if you're not at a church service. We seldom know 
the hole that we left when we weren't at a church service because that opportunity came and went and we weren't there. You don't just come to receive, although you should come to receive. You should come to see, to, to, to be a part of the worship and, and to be one more voice to help lift up the music. You should come to be challenged, to be encouraged, to, be, to, to have something spoken to you that will feed your soul and help you as a person, help you to spiritually grow, help you to personally grow, help you to develop. But then you should also come with an expectation to give and to minister to somebody and to, and to, 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 to love on somebody, to encourage somebody. It's such a hard world right now. Just a smile. Just a, just a, just a compliment. Just, just to know that you appreciate somebody, just for them to feel appreciated is huge in today's world. It's a superpower. And so the body is, is so important for us to have a discipline of, uh, of coming to church. Um, I won't read the scripture, but 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 21 talks about different body parts and how important all body parts are. Um, determine what body part you are and then determine if you would like your body to be without that. Well, I don't think I'm much. I think I'm probably a thumb. Yeah. Well, try to ride a motorcycle without a thumb. Try to, try to handle a, a shovel without a thumb. Try to, try to pick up your fork without a thumb. That's what it's like if you miss church on any given week. People have to work. I get it. People, have to, people get sick. I get it. There, there's certain where you go on vacation, go. Have a great time. But if you can be at church, be at church, because it's important to the body. You're missed. Something's missing in the body if you're not here. I'm just going to tell you from a pastoral standpoint. There are some times on a Sunday, I'll see a new family come in that we've never seen before. I'll see a new person that I've never seen before. If there's a quarter of the body that's missing... It's cold outside. It's drizzling. I always think to myself, man, I wish they could have been here on a Sunday when the whole body was present. It just feels better when the whole body is here. I see a family walk in and I'm just going, they don't even see us at our, at our full capability. What? All of our voices together. The buzz in the room where there's 100% of us or 90% of the body that's here on a Sunday. And we're here together. And, and the, just, the, just the buzz, that the, the, they have to turn the meet and greet music up louder because just the buzz is so loud. Man, I wish our guests could have came on that Sunday. Again, if you're on vacation, you're working, you're sick, whatever. I get all of that. But don't forsake the assembling. Don't, don't, don't just decide, ah, I, don't, I don't need to be there today. I'm probably not going to, you know, it's probably not going to affect me much. Well, the truth of the matter is, I can't think of too many services that that service changed my life. Now, I have had some. But for the most part, it's the, it's the grind of, of just coming and just that daily relationship with the body, daily relationship with the church, that 1% growth every time I go to church. Um, we do that with the educational system. We do that with your job. We do that with your experience, with your work, 
all that comes over time. So you matter. Look at your neighbor, say you matter. It matters that you're here. And it matters if you're not here. Well, they won't miss me yet. Yeah, we'll miss you about like lopping off a thumb. Lop off an ear. If you're not here on a Sunday, man. It might have been the guest that you would have connected with better than anybody else here. So it matters. Number seven. Discipline yourself to become accountable to someone you trust. Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think of himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we will reap not if we faint not. Or we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see how large a letter I have written unto you in my own hand? As many as desire to make a fair show of the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only uh, lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory to save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world also is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature." And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be unto them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so, if a man be overtaken in a fault, back to the first part of this, we which are mature and wise should restore them. The question is, okay, that looks like that's addressing those people that should be the restorer. Let's talk about the restore-e. How do you have somebody speak into your life if you don't let them in your life? If this whole church was that mature person that was wise and, and and let me just read that first part if brethren if a man be overtaken in fault ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself lest that also be tempted bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ 
So if I stumble, how do I get restored if I have a whole bunch of spiritual people in the spirit of meekness that are seeking and wanting and desiring to restore me? But I'm not going to let you in. I saw something funny on, on Facebook the other day. It said, um, by January 2nd, I will be sending out W-2s for all the people that were in my business this year. None of us want everybody in our business. None of us want certain people in our business. But you should have certain people that you want in your business. Painful, uncomfortable, loving, meek, spiritually in your business. Got anybody in your business? Somebody that you want? Not somebody that just chooses to be that person? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you like it is. Yeah, go ahead. You're not helping anybody when, you, when you're that person. I'm asking you and I'm asking myself, is there anybody that's got the open door from you to get in your business? Is there anybody that's got veto power in your life? What's veto power? That means you really want to do something, but you're not really sure. You know you want, you're sure you want to do it, but you're not sure if it's wise. So you're going to ask somebody that may tell you no, and you will trust them more than yourself. If not, you need to. That's how we stay saved. That's, 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 how we, that's how we make sure that we don't make emotional decisions because we have some people around us. Now, it may be, here's my three or four people for financial decisions. Here's my three or four people or two or three or one person for relational things that I talk. When it comes to me entering into a relationship or getting out of a relationship, here's what I talk to. Here's the spiritual when I have a, a doctrinal question. You may have different people for different things. That's fine. The question is, I, I, is, not the question, the concern I have is when I see people that have nobody speaking into their life. And they have nobody that they're accountable to in their life. They answer to nobody. I wish I could say that those people are young people, but oh, I can tell you in my pastoring, they're not. They're not all young people. They're adults that think like young, you know, like young people. And their pride just refuses to let them need or get or ask for any type of advice or help. But it is, it is uh, truly important that we are um, accountable that somebody can help us. Hebrews 13, 17 Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Um, now, here's the, one, here's the most difficult part of this scripture that I'm going to share with you. Because this is, you think it's difficult for you? I'm going to tell you, try standing up here and read this next part. 
for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. If I'm reading this right, when I get to heaven, I will give an account, not only for what I did to equip and train you, and to lead you and guide you, but I will give an account for how you responded to that. That's what an accounting is. As somebody that gives an account for your soul. So I have to carry a great responsibility. But there's also going to be a responsibility that you have for what you've been taught and what you've learned. And did you apply it? Because you will also give an account for what I've said. And, and your, your, your spiritual leader. This isn't... Pastors always hesitate to really get in some of these areas or money or tithing because it always seems to be self-serving. But there's just truth that we just have to teach and preach that's just truth. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't carry this in some kind of way that, you know, everybody follows me now and, and, and everybody does what I say. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I revere from that, have a meeting with me. Show me where I'm wrong. And, and if, I, if, I, if I don't veer... Uh, and if, I, if, I, if I'm veering from Scripture, run for your life. Follow me as I follow Christ. Within that, though, we have to have some spiritual accountability. Uh, I had a young man years ago, and uh, this was funny. Um, somebody told me that he was getting married. And I said, well, I, they asked me if I was doing the wedding. I said, what wedding? And they told me the guy's name, and I said, I, I don't know anything about it. They said, what? He didn't ask you to marry him? I said, no. Um, so somebody went and asked him, well, <clears throat> um, did you talk to pastor about it? He said, I don't need his permission. It's true. You didn't. I don't, I don't like, give permission for people to marry or not marry. People that ask me, I will tell them. People that ask me, I will advise uh, people that ask me, there's been on a couple of occasions where I have not married a couple because I felt like it was not good, and in fact, it wasn't, and in fact, I was glad I didn't tie that knot because it came unraveled pretty quickly. Some people have asked me advice, and I will counsel them on, what do you see this? Do you see this? How, what do you see in this person here? So there's some of the things I do, but the, 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 the thing that was interesting to me is just the person, I don't need his opinion. About a year later, um, after he adopted her kids, um, she left him for another man and left her kids with him. Could I have saved him from that? I don't know, maybe. But it, it wasn't the fact that everybody needs my permission. In fact, I, I don't get too far involved in people's relationships other than just asking some very common questions, helping them navigate through. I do not want to be the matchmaker. I do not want to be the person that tries to keep people from getting together and figuring out, thus saith the Lord, this is the right person for you. Thus saith the Lord, this is not. I'm not that guy. But I will ask a series of questions at times to help people navigate through whether that's the best choice or not. There should be a level of, of confidence and trust that people have for spiritual discipline. Please understand this. There is an umbrella of protection 
that comes with that. I would much rather teach this at somebody else's church, this point right here about the spiritual authority, because it would be much easier if I went to my buddy's church and preached the importance of submitting to their pastor and then have him come and do it here. (laughs) Because it wouldn't seem so self-serving. It's really not. It really benefits you. Because when you seek counsel and I do my best or a pastor does his best, if you will follow that, God will honor and bless you. What if he's wrong? God will bless and honor you. Because of your submission, because you stayed under your pastor's authority, again, seems self-serving. I'm not the guy, uh, hopefully my staff, nobody here that's been under me very long ever feels that I'm the guy that really carries that scripture with a heavy hand. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I hope I never portray that. But I do understand the value of spiritual authority. And that same umbrella that's authority is the same umbrella that's protection. And even if a pastor is is not perfect in that, if you will stay underneath that subjection, God will honor and bless you. Again, if that gets detrimental, have a conversation with me, your pastor, whatever, because that's not meant to be that, well, I've got to stay and do whatever he says every time. And that's cultish. That becomes a cult at some point. And that's certainly not what this scripture is meant to do. And it's not what um, I intend by going over that scripture. But obey them that have rule over you. Submit yourselves for they that watch for your souls that they that must give an account. And that uh, you may do it with joy, not with grief. That's unprofitable. Everybody say submit. Submit, submit only happens when you don't agree. Understand that. Submission. You know, isn't, um, I want to have a party and you want to come. I submit to pastor. He said, let's have a party and I came. Um, Submission happens when you don't want to do something and and you do it anyway with a right heart and a right attitude. That's when you're submitting to that. Submit. It's it's, it's underneath. It's underneath what I wanted to do. And I, I, I do that. Um, Proverbs 27, again, another reason why to discipline yourself to become accountable to someone you trust. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. One of my best friends on the planet right now is Mike Houston. You don't know him. Um, I've known him since I was in my late teens. Um, we were in my garage. I'll never forget it. I was working on my 1975 Granada, uh, my first car. It was $400. And consequently, I put a $600 stereo in it, which any teenager would understand. Um, so we're in the garage, and, and I had talked about I was going to go to um, a movie. And Mike, that attended the same church I did, said, um, we know Brother Davis preaches against that, right? I said, yeah, but I don't think this one's a bad one. So he said, but he... He doesn't think we should go to any movies. And I said, well, like I said, I don't, I don't think this one's wrong. I don't think this one's bad. He said, well, it's, it's, it's bad if your pastor says not to go, and you go. And so I thought to myself, I thought you were my friend.
worse. I had to wrestle with that for a little while. You see, your friend doesn't always tell you what you want to hear. That will be the nature of most of your relationship with a good friend. But then there's going to come a moment where your friend sees you in danger. And they're going to say, I don't think this person's good for you. They're going to say, I, I don't think you should go there with those people. I don't think it's in your best interest to do this if clearly your wife doesn't want you to. There's going to be things. I was a teenager. I was 16. I just got off the phone with him the other day. Talking about how just years we've just have gone by. He's He's been married 40 years now. And how did we get there? We're not that old. How could he be married 40 years? He took something off of me. You can't sharpen something unless you rub it raw a little bit. You're taking something... You're... you're, you're you're taking something off of me to put an edge on me, to make me usable, to make me functional. I'm telling you, it took me days. I was upset at him. But I couldn't get away from the fact that it was still right, and I knew he was in the book. It was at that point at 16 that I realized, and some people even at my age now still don't get the fact that friendship's not about just making you feel good all the time. Friendships and people that love you, friendships, family, relationships, love you enough to say, be careful. There's a snake in there. Once I got that, I realized that he took a chance. I loved him even more when I got a clue. And it only took me a week or so to get a clue. And I'm so thankful that I did. I didn't just cut him off. But I got a clue. He took a risk on saying something that was uncomfortable for him to say it as for me to hear it. He wasn't that guy just waiting for an opportunity to pounce on his friend. He loved me. I was the best man in his wedding. Fast forward two years or so, I was the best man in his wedding. More than his brother. If anybody sees a video of my son going camping with some guy that's about my age, that's Mike Houston. That's one of my best friends on the planet that we grew apart for years. And they hooked up on Facebook and they've gone camping. Now we've all four, me and his sons and me and Logan, and we've all done some things together. Got reacquainted. That's the guy. So he took a risk. Pastor said not to. Iron sharpening iron. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 15. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and that are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in the love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, that, uh, brethren, Warn them that are unruly. 
Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient towards all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good among yourselves to all men. Know them that labor among you. Be aware of those and who they are. Who, who's speaking into your life? What's their life like? lady at our church years ago had some lady speaking into her life. She ended up leaving her husband. Coming to find out her friend that she was talking to at work had been married five times. Go figure. Know them that labor among you. Know them that aren't doing right. Be very careful with your relationships even at church. If somebody's not on a good path. That's a discussion for another time about marking those that claim to be Christian that are not walking in Christian behavior. That doesn't sound very Christ-like. There's a lot of things in the Bible that doesn't sound nice until you realize how protective Jesus is about his church. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven is an abomination. And somebody that causes disunity in the church, that's back in Proverbs. But you look in the New Testament, and there's a few places it's really, really odd because most churches really don't want to preach this or talk about it because it seems not nice. But it's, it's marking those that cause division among you. Why? Because unity is so important to God and so important to the church. If a church is unified... It, it, then, then there's nothing that can stop it. You, you hear a, a choir, if, if there's a day that they're off and there's a sour note and somebody's off, and then, it kind of makes, makes your eyes twitch a little bit. Well, that's what happens in the spirit if somebody's out of joint. And it affects us all. We don't even realize why the service fell off. Man, it's felt dry in here today. Guests come in, they don't feel the overwhelming presence of God. Why? Because there was not unity in the place. The reason why that whole unity thing is important is that, and I'm talking about being, being disciplined to, to, uh, um, to, to uh, be with somebody that you trust. Achan steals a treasure and gets out of joint, and people die over it. It's important that we understand unity. It's important that we understand the power of disunity. It affects the guests that come in. It affects other people. It affects the spirit world. Number eight. Move quickly in these last two. Last three, actually. Discipline your walk in the spirit. Galatians 5. Starting verse 14. For brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in this, in one word, even this. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, and take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Everybody say, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why do we wrestle in the flesh? Because we're walking in the flesh. Why is relational prayer important this year? That we so crave the presence of God that His presence is in us alive. 
My wife had a friend that came to church while I was in Bible school. My wife called me while I was in Bible school and told me all about it. This girl came to church named Lois, and so she came, and she's a student at OSU. So we've got this friendship going. I'm teaching her a Bible study. Well, long story short, Lois gets baptized, gets the Holy Ghost, ends up marrying one of the guys in our church, and and it's great. And they're still together and serving God. Matter of fact, they moved out of state. Now they just moved back to Cincinnati, and our accountant just called us and said, you know, I just had lunch with Steve and Lois Folden. So I kind of told him the brief story about Lois's conversion. Let me tell you what's powerful about Lois's conversion. Lois is at OSU. What do students do Friday night? Yeah, they go out partying, they go out drinking. Unless they receive the Holy Ghost on a Sunday or a Wednesday. And what happened to Lois is she goes to the bar with her friends just like every other Friday night. Gets dressed, gets ready to go party, goes down the street, goes to their bar of choice, walks up and stands at the front of the bar, and all of a sudden, it hits her. Her friends say, what's up? She says, I, I, can't, I can't go in there. What are you talking about? And she says, I can't take my Jesus in there. Anybody here take your grandma, grandpa, to some of the bars you used to go to? Why? Because I know what the behavior is like in there, and I just, I wouldn't want to take them into that atmosphere. You see, when you're walking in the Spirit, you're so intimate with Him that the thing that you may want to click on, you're not going to click on. Because you're so walking in the spirit that I don't want to expose myself to that. God's done too much for me. But the more strong your flesh gets, the more you feel entitled. The more you feel like this is okay. The more you feel like I'm a grown man. I haven't, it's nothing I haven't seen before. Or something you're going to go do and, well, God, thank God for forgiveness. You don't even, if you're walking in the spirit... You don't, you don't even want to contaminate this. I've told you the story before. We, we went to a, a, a deal where we were trying to, I think we were trying to pray 100 people through to the Holy Ghost at Vets Memorial one year, and, and, and I think we did it. But, but uh, we, we had this service, and it was a powerful service. Jonathan Suber preached the service, and, and, and I, I got to be there with him. And he and I prayed for this guy, and he was in his 80s and prayed him through the Holy Ghost. Found out later he died six months later. It was an awesome feeling knowing that this guy lived his whole life with, without Jesus. And in this last hour, uh, he received the Holy Ghost. But we, we went back to the motel room and went back there. And, and, and my wife just happened to click on the TV. She wasn't she wasn't being unspiritual, just just click it on, see that the news is on or something. And so there was, there was happened to be this old documentary thing about Marilyn Monroe or... or uh, Jane Mansfield or Marilyn Monroe, one of those, but it was just a, a kind of a docu docu series something. It was only on for a few minutes. There wasn't anything raunchy, wasn't anything X-rated. It was just kind of mature things. You wouldn't necessarily have your kids watching this, but it was just kind of a one of those nighttime movie things that was just it wasn't a, it was on network television, so it wasn't that bad. The problem is we had just come out of such a holy sacred environment 
Can I tell you the way it happened? I even had to assess in my mind because it's not that I'm, I'm so uh, um, um, holy in myself. But if ever I have learned a lesson about walking in the Spirit, it was that night when my flesh might have wanted to watch a little bit of that. Documentary about a beautiful woman, a sex symbol, we would call it. My wife turned it on. I didn't do it. I'm sure she was intrigued by the whole rags to riches end of it. Of course, that's why all of us guys would see it. But in that moment, it was something that I'll say magic again, that that spirit man was so strong in me. I said, turn that off. And she did. She was like, okay. Because I had just come out of such a holy, no wonder the prophet of God said, I saw the Lord. and He was high and lifted up. And his train, it filled the temple. And I beheld his glory. And the angels cried, holy, holy, holy. But what's interesting about that, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Was this, guy, was this prophet of God telling dirty jokes? Did he have a foul mouth? Anything that he says on this side of heaven is going to be considered unclean. I dwell in the midst of unclean people, and I'm a man of unclean lips. Here's what I found. The more you get in his presence, the more powerful you feel, but the more humble you are. And so when we're led by the Spirit, it's a lot easier to overcome your natural desires. Ephesians 5, 8 through 16 is going to be the same things, talking about the, the works of the flesh. Understand this, the works of the flesh, the Bible says in one of these passages, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And it goes on ahead and lists them. You don't even need a devil to help you with those. Greed, envy, lust. You don't need a devil to, devil tempted me. You didn't need, if so, congratulations, the devil showed up to tempt you with lust. Most of us guys have enough problem with that on our own. Greed, envy, strife, anger, rage. I mean, all these different areas, they're works of the flesh, witchcraft, Hatred, debauchery, I mean, all these things are listed in the works of the flesh. You don't even need spiritual involvement in that. Our, our flesh is so nasty as it is. We, can, we are well capable of that on ourselves. And so we have to, uh, we have to discipline ourselves to walk in the Spirit. Uh, John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the van. No more can you except ye abide in me. I am the van and vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So we see in this that we have to stay connected. And well, I don't feel like I'm producing very much. It's because you're not connected enough. Well, how do you know? Because well, if a branch is connected... To an, to, a, to an orange tree, oranges are going to grow off of it. It's just the way it is. And so we need to be more connected and walk more in the Spirit. Number nine, 
This is a tough one. You have to discipline your reaction to failure. 2 Timothy 1, 7-9, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor in me and his prisoner. But be thou partaker in the, affliction, in the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Jesus Christ before the world began. Romans 3, 23, this is good for all of us to know this scripture. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I don't give myself a pass when I've failed. However, I do understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, so therefore I'm not going to live in shame and guilt and condemnation. We've all messed up here and there, and so we read that scripture and know that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, For trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not upon unto, lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Uh, James 1, 2 through 5, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or different temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So we understand this, that um, we're all going to go through temptations. Those all build us. Now understand this. Don't just keep falling in them temptations and saying, well, that scripture says that it, uh, it's a learning process. Um, right here on my head, um, I've got a scar. That scar is an injury that I got when my dad and I were wrestling. He was on his knees. I was standing up, and we were wrestling in our living room, and I went to pull away from him, and his grip slipped. When his grip slipped, I turned and hit my head on the corner of the coffee table, started bleeding. I got a scar there. It's a healed wound, but I still have a scar. I don't want a whole lot of scars spiritually. I want to minimize that as much as possible because along with every scar becomes a hurt relationship. Somebody else, you've broken their trust with your children. You've broken your trust with your spouse. You've, you've broken a, a relationship at work. There's, there's, I don't want to make too many mistakes. Um, I want to learn from those painful mistakes and move on. I just don't want to keep repeating those. And now the 10th discipline, um, which is probably going to be the most tricky and the most difficult um, and Jesus knew it because he said this he said you will be offended of me and so the thing we have to discipline ourselves to is our reaction to the Lord's discipline Proverbs three eleven, my son despise not the chastening of the Lord Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father his son, whom he delighteth. It is interesting to me to watch the world make up their own doctrines. 
If you ask people if they believe in God, they'll say yes. If you ask them if they believe in heaven, they'll say yes. If you ask them what it takes to get to heaven, they'll tell you their version. But then if you ask them, can you tell me doctrinally or can you tell me what the Bible says, you can even ask them, is the Bible the infallible word of God? They'll say yes. But then if you ask them to tell you doctrinally what it takes to be saved, they'll draw a blank. Why? Because although we were created in God's image, we have a tendency to create God in our image. And we will say things like, I'd never let Charles Manson go to heaven. But my neighbor that I like, and he's a good guy, he'd definitely go to heaven. We don't doctrinally know about the nature of God. When I say we, I mean a society, not necessarily this church. And so what happens is when God brings correction, we don't know how to handle it. We get mad at God. Did any of you ever get mad at your parents? They were unreasonable. They were unfair. They loved your sibling more than you. But at the same time, your sibling was in their room mad because your parents loved you more than them. And so God brings correction to us financially, spiritually, other ways, our health. He brings correction to us. Reproofs, sometimes the Bible calls them reproofs. He, he brings things to us to, to try to get us to straighten out. There's a lot of if-thens in the Bible. You see about a 400-year cycle of Israel doing well, but then they do so well that they start getting away from God. And God brings judgment. God brings slavery. God brings all kinds of stuff. Then they start turning their hearts back to God, and they turn their hearts back to God. And then, and then everything's good for a while, for a season. Then another king comes in, and, and all of a sudden there's a cycle that continues to happen. We have to be very careful how we handle our reaction to the Lord's discipline. not popular today but we spanked our children until they got a certain age five six seven somewhere in there then we went to grounding and timeouts different things that were more effective no matter what your discipline is is, is irrelevant as far as I'm concerned that what is important is in that moment your kid didn't feel like you liked them but in fact you loved them so much that you didn't want to see them continue down that path. So you brought them a little bit of pain or discomfort in that moment so that they wouldn't experience a lifetime of pain and discomfort, being undisciplined, being hard to get along with, having people not like them. And so you decided, I'm going to give them a little discomfort. They're going to not understand this. They're not going to be happy with me. They're not going to like me. But when they get a little bit more mature, they're going to understand and that's what the Lord does with us. Uh, I'll finish with this scripture. I've got several. Well, I'll just finish with this one. It's a short one. Hebrews 12, 9. Actually, if you go through Hebrews 12, 9, 10, 
Um, or, or actually, Hebrews 5. Let me just do this. I'm going to read Hebrews 5 through 12 in the NIV. I'm going to cover three scriptures in one reading, and I'm going to do it in the NIV because it gives us a little better understanding. This is our last scripture, and we're done. It says this, Have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addressed you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone that accepts that he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, everyone undergoes discipline. Then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The nature of God. Unfortunately, all of us would prefer to be spoiled brats. Sometimes I don't want to be a productive citizen. I don't want to be a productive saint of God. I don't, I don't want to have fiery trials that, that make me a better, more effective man of God. I just want blessing. And we're in a world that if God isn't blessing them, they'll curse Him. If He's not saving them and blessing them and flourishing them and, 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 and making them successful and, and, and every promotion and wildly popular and, and attractive, and if He doesn't make them all that, then they've got an issue with Him. And yet if that same person did that with their own children, and some do, they'd be the raging, spoiled brats you see YouTube videos of. But that's not how God loves, and that's not how we love. And so we have to be very careful and discipline our response to God's correction when He gives it in His discipline, when He's trying to make us what we've asked Him to make us. God, use me. God, help me to do something for you before I leave this planet. Okay, but for that to happen, I'm going to have to bring some things to get you to be that person, that man or that woman of God.